Well, hello, church. It's so good to be with you again and to be going through this rich and beautiful, beautiful psalm together. In today's verse, which is verse 5 of Psalm 23, we see very, uh, three very important principles for us that really point us directly back to Jesus Christ. But we see the trust that we need in the Lord. We see the knowledge that we have in his love, and we'll see the contentment as well. We'll get there. But again, all of these things are true because we are able to say, and if we are able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Are you able to say that right now? That the Lord is my shepherd. Have you been allowing to, and I pray you have, been allowing your mind to just dwell on this beautiful truth these last few weeks? It's so great to just park in a, a, a part of scripture and just allow the text to fill your soul and to go deeper and deeper and just see the truths in it. We don't do that as often as we should. But I pray that you have been trying to memorize this psalm and praying it back to God, and I pray that you would continue to do that as well. I do, and I have been praying for you. I pray that uh, this text, the word of God, would bring comfort to the one who's living in chaos. I pray that it would bring righteousness to the one who's living in sin. Let it bring trust to the one who is living in fear, and let it bring an eternal perspective to the one who is worried about today. All of these things are possible through the word of God in his spirit. He can do it. He can do it. Trust in him. We're going to read this psalm together. I'd ask if you'd stand with me, and we're going to read through the entire psalm again. Uh, and uh, if you would stand, uh, Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, that we are able to come before you right now, Lord, as your church, in prayer, not because of who we are, Lord, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Lord, that he has won our salvation, Lord. That we are invited into your presence because of the work of Christ. Lord, we thank you, oh God, for we have nothing, Lord. But here we are as your congregation, your church, Lord, the body coming together, Lord, to give all praise, adoration, and worship to your holy name. Lord, would you be glorified here, God. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the text for us today, God? Would you allow us to see it in a new way, in a fresh way, God? Would you remind us of the truths of your gospel and allow it to affect our hearts so personally, God, and so powerfully? Lord, we need you. And so we ask this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please, please be seated. In verse 5, we see a new side of our shepherd. We see a new little aspect of who he is. 
what we have seen thus far in the psalm through verses 1 and 4 is that he has been really strictly a shepherd who leads uh, his flock through pastures that are green and still waters. He, he, he keeps them safe. He leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. We have no reason to fear because our shepherd is there with his staff and his rod. And here in verse 5, we see that our shepherd is not just a shepherd out in the flock, but he's actually also a gracious host in his home. That the shepherd doesn't just keep us outside, he invites us in. He's a host, a gracious host. We don't just graze in the fields of God, we dine with him in his house. Who invites the sheep inside? Our Lord does. He brings us inside to enjoy his hospitality and his fellowship. The intimacy of a good meal with close friends is the picture here. The relationship we have with the Lord is quite astounding. And throughout scripture, we we constantly see that um, we are servants of the living God, which is true. We are, in a literal translation, slaves to God. We have been bought with a price We serve him in everything we do. Our bodies are living sacrifices to God. But here, all of a sudden, right in the text, we see this moment where God is actually serving us. He prepares a table before us. He anoints us with oil. He fills our cup. He is serving us and we are his honored guest and he is a gracious host. He wants to give us more than just green pastures and still waters. He wants to give us more than just safe journey through the valley of the shadow of death. He wants to give us himself. He's able to answer your requests. He's able to answer your prayers. He hears you. He wants to be near you. There's no limit to his ability. There's no limit to his resources. And this is what we're going to see today, that there's no limit to his kindness to those who call upon his name. And so if you're able, if you're able to, with all sincerity of heart, say the Lord is my shepherd, then these things today in verse five are true for you. And so let's look at our text. Psalm 23, verse 5. And here's our first point. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be peaceful in trial. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be peaceful in trial. See, David here is saying that it's the Lord who's inviting him in. It's the Lord who's inviting him in. He feels like this treated an honored guest. Prepare, he says, You prepare a table. Literally, the word prepare is to set up, to order, to ordain. It's the Lord putting this together for us. He's putting together a table for David in this picture. And look at where David has taken us thus far. He's believed everything in verses 1 to 4. He's he's trusting in who God is. The Lord has taught him and fed him, has led him. He's restored him. And now he invites him inside after casting away all fears. This is how David feels. He doesn't just feel uh, led by a shepherd who is maybe a little distance from his sheep, but he feels like God is calling him inside to have great communion and closeness with his father in heaven. And in the text it says, you prepare a table before me, but it says in the presence of my enemies. This is interesting and we'll get into this. In the presence of my enemies, who are these enemies to David? What's the context here? 
What does this mean? I mean, we could picture this a few ways. You're like, okay, there's this big table and there's enemies around him or there are enemies close to him. I think what David is writing here is that he's actually envisioning, he's picturing enemies sitting at the same table as him. They're eating from his table, and the Lord has prepared this, but they're really close by. And I, and I think he is saying this because in Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my close friends in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. There was people so close to David, his family, his closest friends, his, his advisors who were scheming against him and wishing him ill. His enemies were so near to him, and David is saying, even in the presence of my enemies, so close to me are my foes, but you have prepared a table before me, and I can have comfort. David finds comfort in the table of the Lord, even when his closest and intimate relationships are scheming against him. He knows the best place to be is with his Lord. So I think we need to define this table that the Lord is setting before David here and this table that he's setting before us. What is it? What is it? Well, I think it's a place of rest. It's a place of friendship and relationship. It's closeness and intimacy with God. How blessed do you feel when someone invites you over to their home? And you're going there and, and you're excited to see some old friends or whatever and, and you get to their house and then you realize, wow, they've really pulled out all the stops. They've put a roast in the oven, it's been there all day and they've fixed all the fixins and the mashed potatoes and the carrots and everything's ready to go and the gravy's just perfect and they've set the table beautifully and you just feel so honored, right? You just feel so honored. You come in, you're like, well, I don't deserve any of this, but you've done this and, I, and they're just excited to see you, but they wanted to make sure you felt loved and so you come in and you sit with them and the conversation is great and there's mutual affection and there's joy and there's laughter and common interests and this is the table that the Lord has prepared before David and it's the table that he invites you to as well. Don't just be far out in the field. Come in close. I've set this beautiful table before you. Come and eat with me. Come dine with me. Reminds me again of Revelation 3.20 when Jesus says, I knock at the door and I will come in. Whoever answers it, I will sup with them in the Old English. I will dine with them. I will eat with you. He wants this closeness, this relationship, this communion, this invitation to come to this wonderful meal hosted by the good shepherd. We think of warmth and comfort, friendship, companionship, intimacy, close friends. But although this table is before us, we don't always go there. We need to. In our heart of hearts, we want to, but we don't always go there. And I think for us, this table, this place of communion and fellowship with God is, is really defined in two ways in our lives. It's in prayer and in our day of rest. Are these not the times that we sit down with the Father, maybe as we read his word and we pray it back to the Lord and... We go through our day, we wake up in the morning, we go through our day, whenever it is, we pray without ceasing, we, we seek the Lord and his comfort, and then even one day a week, we, we rest, really. We, we even come together like this, we rest in the Lord, and we thank him for what he has done, and we enjoy him in a unique way. This is the table that the Lord has set before you, and you always have access to it, to run in and be with your Father in heaven and enjoy his presence but it's just not how our minds work, right? 
We, we, if we really think about this, it seems crazy because he says, you prepare a table before me and everyone likes a good meal. Everyone likes a good meal, all right? You cook a good meal, I'll be there. But then he says, in the presence of my enemies. Now, what a stressful kind of meal is that, right? Hey, would you like to sit down? I know that they're trying to barge down the door and come after you, but would you like to sit down and have a meal? And you're like, no, 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 we don't have time for a meal right now. I don't have time to go sit down and have a meal. God, like, let's just eat quickly. What soldier do you know in the middle of battle would be like, hey, let's just go sit down and have a nice meal. So let's scarf down this can of beans quickly just so I don't fall over and then get back to fighting my enemies. Our flesh doesn't think this way. But God knows what's best, doesn't he? He knows that we need to dine with him even in the presence of our enemies. He knows that we can't go much longer than a few hours even out in the wilderness as we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows we need to recharge. We need to rest. We need to come alongside him, eat at his table, and enjoy his presence. You see, this goes beyond not being fearful, right? This is what we learned last week, right? I walk, as I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And you see... Not having fear doesn't move us just to a, a place of neutrality. We can't just go from fear to neutral about it. We actually go to trust and peace. We go from fear to peace. This is where we move. We are not only completely lacking fear because of the presence of the Lord, we're actually incredibly confident, even in the presence of our enemies, almost to a bragging level. We see the enemy's threat. And our flesh's first response is fear. We realize the Lord is with us, but we think, okay, God, you're with me. Let's go and fight our enemies. Let's go fight all of the temptation and all the things coming my way. The people who hate me, the enemy himself, Satan, as he's trying to tear our church and our lives apart, let's go face him. And the Lord says, no, sit down. Eat with me. Eat with me. And you say, but God, I mean, they're right there knocking at the door. They're going to bear down the door. They're coming in. They're coming in through the window. Child, sit down. I prepared a table before you. Come eat with me. Come eat with me. Come eat with me. You see, right here in this tension, in this moment, right? And we've all been there where it's, I have so much to do. I have so much to accomplish. There's enemies at the door. There's things to get done. And you feel this, this pull. I, need to, I should go pray, actually, right now. I should, I should actually uh, enjoy a Sabbath day, a day of rest maybe once in a while. But instead we think, no, 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 no. I need to get this done. I need to go. I have so much to do. And in this moment of tension that we all feel in our lives, we come up with a very important thing that plagues so many of our hearts. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust that God's way is better than your way? How deep does your trust run in the Lord? God knows exactly how many hours in the day. He knows exactly all the things that are going on in your life, and yet he still commands you to pray. He still invites you to come to the table. He still invites you to to enjoy his presence and to take a day of rest. You see, when I ask you the question, do you trust the Lord? I'm not, I'm not actually meaning it in an in a intellectual way or a heart question. 
I'm not asking it in that way. You see, because that's an easy question. I can say to you, do you trust the Lord? And I think any Christian would, in the sincerity of their heart, say, yes, I trust the Lord. I love the Lord. I trust the Lord. But I'm not asking intellectually. I'm not asking in your heart. If you want to know if you trust the Lord, just take a look at your schedule. Have you trusted the Lord? Do you actively trust the Lord? Do you really believe that his way is better, that it is better to rest in him than to fight your enemy? Do you go to him in prayer? Do you actually take a day of rest to reflect on his goodness? Do you believe that it is better to rest in the Lord? I know this old quote. I couldn't find it, so I can't give you the reference, but it's in the back of my head, and I... I have a few people I think it's attributed to, but I I can't figure it out. So I'll just have to say the quote, and then the Lord knows who gets the credit for it, okay? But this old pastor, he would say, every day I pray for an hour in the morning. But on very, very busy days, when I have so much to do, I make sure I pray for two. Because to accomplish anything, to accomplish anything, we need prayer. And if we have lots to do, it means we have more prayer to do. We need the Lord. We need to rest in the Lord. It's been said before, and I'm sure it'll be said again, but prayer is not just for the work. It is the work. It is the work. It's what we're called to. It's what we need. Being with the Father and trusting that his way is better. The second we don't take a day of rest, we're saying, God, I don't trust that you will feed me tomorrow. God, I don't trust that you will provide for me tomorrow when God is commanding us to rest. There's a popular, popular phrase, actually, that was born out of my generation. And some of you older folks might think, nothing good has come out of your generation. But a few things, all right? And I think this one can be redeemed. I don't know what it always means, but I've heard it, and I think it's helpful. They call it the work-life balance. You heard this? The work-life balance, people my age say it. And I don't know if it comes from a heart of laziness or, or what, but I think it can be redeemed for our purposes here. The Lord is calling us to some kind of work-life balance. He's calling us to work really, really hard, but he's also calling us to rest in him. Our life is in the Lord. Work six days a week and rest with the Lord. Not legalistically, but just for the sake of our hearts. Go to him often in prayer. Is this not what the Lord Jesus did? What a great example we have in him. Early in the morning, Jesus would go and pray, it says in Mark 1.35, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Why? Because in the morning, even Jesus needed to go and be with the Father. While he was in the middle of doing his ministry in the midday, you have a lunch break at work, right? Stress is coming in, everything coming in. You know what you need? You know what you need more than getting a task done? You need time with the Father. In Luke 5, 16, it says that he was performing miracles and healings, and then he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And how about this? How about this? We're looking at this table in the presence of our enemies. How about Jesus Christ at the Last Supper? Setting before a table and Judas right next to him. A table set before me in the presence of my enemies. And what did Jesus do in that moment? The night before he was betrayed. The night before he was betrayed, did he go and try to convince Judas to change his mind? 
Did he go and, and fight the, the ruling class and say, no, 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 I'm innocent? Did he go and try to figure out all his problems? Did he get his affairs in order? Did he try to get out of town? You know what he did? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed. In the presence of my enemies, Lord, you have set a table before me. And we go and we sit with our Father in heaven. And in that moment when Jesus prayed, dripping sweats of blood, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. In that sentence, it sums up trust in the Lord. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. As we come and sit with the Father, and he gives us this peace. Continue in the text, and we see, you anoint my head with oil. And if you are the Lord's, if the Lord is your shepherd, I can be anointed in grace. Anointed in grace. In fact, if the Lord is your shepherd, you are anointed in grace. It's hard to know exactly um, what David is specifically referring to here. I think it, in scripture often it's referring to a few things. Um, but in, in, in olden times, in, in the ancient world, anointing a house guest with oil would have been a common practice to, to love them, to show them honor as they were entering your home. People didn't shower as much as we do today, and they would have been out in the field all day, and they would have come in, and having a nice perfume of oil on their head would have helped, okay? Would have helped. It's a way of showing honor, giving them something expensive. We go and we look at the woman washing Jesus' feet and pours the expensive perfume on his feet. It's a, it's a sign of honor and respect. And it says here, you anoint my head with oil. As people would have been going up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, they would have anointed themselves with oil for cleansing and to symbolize healing and sanctification and being set apart. They would have, they would have done this, but he says, no, you anoint my head with oil. Could have meant all of these things. It could have also been looking back to when David was anointed with oil to become the king of Israel. Kings were anointed with oil. Priests were anointed with oil. And so there's this sense of being anointed with oil, which is for um, giving someone a specific job or task. Welcoming, welcoming them into that office that they will now hold. I tend to lean to that. The Holy Spirit coming upon someone, and now this is your role. You've been ordained for this, either king or priest or prophet. Spurgeon writes concerning this verse, May we live in the daily enjoyment of this blessing, receiving a fresh anointing for every day's duties, the filling of the Holy Spirit, calling us on to do what we are called to do. You see, the Lord has anointed you. He's anointed you. He has set you apart. You are now part of the, the royal priesthood. He has anointed your head with oil. He loves you. He loves you dearly and deeply. He pursues you. Some of us have trouble believing this. About the, the vastness of the love that God has for us. See, God is not hiding his affection for you. We often think, man, I'm, a, I'm just a disappointment because of my sin, because of who I am. I'm a disappointment to God. I'm, God's probably just tolerating me for now. He's, he's actually slightly embarrassed by me. He's just putting up with me until we're in heaven. But until then, I'm, just a, I'm a bit of an inconvenience to God. 
If you're in Christ, that's no longer true. But there's part of that which, which makes sense, right? That we are sinful and we're unworthy and we're an inconvenience and really there's nothing to be proud of within me. I'm, I'm, I'm sinful by nature. I choose to sin. I'm, I'm filled with sin. I don't deserve to be anointed by God. I don't deserve his love. And that, that is true. And, and listen, that's the point. That's the point. We don't come to God and say, I am now worthy of your grace. We're not. We're sinful. But in Jesus Christ, we've been made righteous. We come to the Father and he anoints us in oil, not because of who we are, but because who Christ is and what he has done. That he has saved us. I mean, look at, look at this psalm, really. Look at this psalm. See, I think reading through this psalm, all the verses that have come before and up to now, you could read this, and, and I think you might lean in, in, in one of two ways. You might read this and go, okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Check. Leads me, uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. Yeah, I read the word of God. He leads me still waters. My life is pretty good. Yep, my stole, soul has been restored. I'm going down paths of righteousness. I have no fear. Listen, it's just not true. And we can read this and puff ourselves up with pride or we can go on the other side and be in despair. I'll never live up to this standard. I mess up all the time. I'm not going down paths of righteousness. My life isn't still waters. I'm a wreck. I don't spend enough time in, in the word of God. I don't try to always bring glory to his name. In fact, I'm filled with fear constantly. And listen, that's the point. We all are. We, we don't do this perfectly. But Jesus did. Jesus did. Read this psalm again and think about how Christ has accomplished all of these things perfectly. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Did the Lord want anything else? He made me lie down in green pastures. He knew the word of God perfectly. He wrote it. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus calms the storm. Never a moment in doubt. Not us. His soul perfectly restored. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Christ chose the righteous path every single time. And he did it all for the glory of the Father. When Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he feared no evil. Why? Because he was with the Father. See, and now we're invited to this, this table that God has put before us. We are anointed with oil. Not because of us. Not because we have done these things perfectly, but because we haven't and Christ died for us so that we can now sit with the Father and be reconciled with him. The point is we're not perfect, but Christ is. And because of who Christ is, you are so loved by God. He has chose you. He has justified you. <laughs> Colossians 1.21 says, We were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, but God saw you and wanted to make you family, even though you were an enemy of the living God. He loved you so much that 
He gave up his own son to die for you. Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What more proof do you need? How about that he pursues you? Luke 19, 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And I can tell you, we are lost. But the Lord Jesus comes to seek and save you. He justifies us. Romans 5.11 says that we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He sanctifies us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, The Lord's will is your sanctification. Listen, listen, listen. You were dead and you were made alive. You were blind and you were made to see. You were lame and you were made to walk. You were an orphan and he gave you a home. You were tired and he gave you rest. You were lost. But church, you are now found because of the work of Jesus Christ. He loves you. He loves you. You're not inconvenient to him. When he looks upon you, he sees you covered in the blood of Christ. You are redeemed. You are justified. You are going to be glorified in his presence. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He'll never let you go. You're not an inconvenience to him. In fact, he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's showing you off in front of everyone. He's mine. She's mine. They are mine, and I love them because of the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, I love this. In Exodus 34, 14, it says that the Lord is jealous for your worship. (laughs) He's jealous for your worship. Just as a husband would be jealous for his wife's affection, he doesn't want his wife to go off and give any other man affection. He's jealous for all of that affection. This is how the Lord looks at you. He wants your worship. He wants your affection. He's jealous for you. This is how the Lord sees us as a doting husband to his bride. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be content in godliness. Stay with me. Content in godliness. My cup overflows. The blessing from God is so immense and continual that we are unable to contain it. Our mortal bodies, our limited selves, cannot even handle the amount of blessing that God is pouring out in our lives. The godliness that is poured out through the Holy Spirit is overflowing. But you see, the overflowing of our cup The overflowing in our lives happens when we are standing next to his pouring out. We must be content with the presence of God to receive this blessing. Content to be sitting at his table. Content to be in his presence. And when we are content with his presence, our cup will truly overflow. And as we stand there and the Lord fills our cup and he says, Lord, Lord, it's full. And he replies, no, I want to give you more. I want to give you more. I want to give you more of myself. And our cup can't contain it. The blessing is too large. The joy in Christ is so great. There's an abundance of joy. It's overflowing and it can't be contained, Christian. It can't be contained. It overflows out of us and the world sees this and they go, I want some of that. I want some of that. What is overflowing from your cup? And you're like, come, come, put your cup under the blessing of the Lord. Enjoy him. Enjoy what he has done for me and how he's given me peace and life and he's paid for my sins. But 
When we try to fill our cup anywhere else, we only show up empty. We must be content with the way that God wants to bless us. We must be content and seek godliness to receive the overflowing cup of God's blessing. Some people are disappointed. Some people are disappointed when they receive the blessing of God or they think they are or they're not quite getting it. And, and, and the question really is, is what are you actually seeking from Christ? What do you think that this blessing is? See, this, this message so simply and easily and has been twisted into this health, wealth, prosperity understanding of your cup overflowing and, and you have all the riches and health in the world and everything will go right for you. Not to forget just the verse prior, we're still walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? What does he give us? What is our cup overflowing with? Not to mention all of the things in his grace that we've already mentioned, but what does he give us? He gives us peace, doesn't he? He gives the believer peace with God. And I really wish I could explain this peace, but I can't. I wish I could explain it, but it's, it's beyond understanding, actually. That's what Philippians 4, 7 says, that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I really wish I could explain this peace, but it's beyond understanding. See, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense that when our enemies are coming at us, when the temptation of the world is at us, when people hate us, revile us, that we have peace. But in Christ Jesus, we have peace. Our cup overflows with peace regardless of what's happening around us if we are content with being near him. See, it makes sense all of the sudden when we're reading through Acts and we see the apostles beaten, beaten physically for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and they come out rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Peace, overflowing peace, regardless peace. And it's overflowing of grace, too much to contain See, listen, there is nothing that can take away the joy in the Lord, the peace that he will give when you're standing in his presence receiving his blessing. Church, we need, we need to run to this table that he set before us. We need to rest in the Lord. We need to slow things down for a moment and not worry about the enemy, but sit with our Father who is greater than all of it and knows all of it and knows exactly what we need and knows exactly what's on our plate and knows exactly what tomorrow will bring, we must sit with him and listen. He will give you peace. Your cup will overflow. Everything else will start to seem a little less important as we have an eternal view of our Father as he gives us this peace. We're often deceived we're often deceived, and money can do this. Is this not why Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, he says that it's, in fact, easier for a camel, right, to go through the eye of a needle, this big, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why is that true? Because money gives this life a false sense of overflowing, a false sense of peace. And maybe you don't have money, but it's still your idol. 
And you think once I get money, then I'll have peace. And so I'll pursue money. And then I will have peace. And once I get that money, oh, my cup will be overflowing only to find out it's empty. This pursuit of money, this love of money, this false security in money will not leave us full. It will leave us quite empty. And how many have been deceived by the deceptiveness of riches? Thinking that only if my stocks do well, only if my bank account is growing, only if my pay increases, only if my whatever is bigger or better or whatever, then, then, then my cup will overflow. Not true. It's not true. And it doesn't lead to eternal life. Christian, the Lord has so much for you. He has so much for you. And all of it's in his presence. All of it. He wants to be near you and next to you and to dine with you and commune with you. He wants to pour out his self and his grace into your life. And believe me, it will give you peace because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. The Lord is wanting to comfort those who draw near. Come to the table and eat with him. Come to this table that he's laid before you. Rest in the Lord because of Jesus Christ. He will satisfy your soul and your cup will overflow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. Lord, because of our sin, God, we are unworthy to have communion with you. Lord, because of our sin, we are unable to draw near to our Father in heaven. But God, rich in mercy, you sent your Son to die for us, Lord, that his perfect life, God, how he perfectly walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He feared no evil, Lord. He, he lived a perfect life and died on the cross so that his righteousness might become my own, Lord, and now I can come and be reconciled to you. Lord, thank you, God, for the amazing truth of the gospel we don't deserve. Lord, allow us not to fall into pride or despair, but God, let us fall into humility under the truth that Jesus saved us. Bless us, God. Bless us in Jesus Christ. Bless us with peace, Lord. Would our cups be overflowing with the peace of God? Lord, we need you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.